Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. But if you go back and look at the interactions that he had in his risen body, look at what he was doing. He was encouraging. He was restoring Peter. But many times the message was go. In Mark's gospel, go. In Matthew's gospel, we call it the Great Commission, go. In Acts 1-8, was the only time he says, okay, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit because you can't go without that. You need power before you go. And so wait here in Jerusalem until you get the power. But after you get it, then go. Then you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. The goal, the message was go. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, he proclaimed what every believer's mission was to be. In today's message, Pastor Bill will explain that that mission is to go out into the nation, spreading the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. His death meant victory over darkness. Are you living out the mission Jesus has called you to? Are you hiding where it's comfortable, or are you going out and sharing the hope of Jesus to the world? Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. We're kind of to the close of the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, many of you guys have been with us the whole way. And so anybody that's been with us from the beginning of the book of 1 Corinthians, this is what you've seen. The Corinthian church was a church with a lot of problems, a lot of carnality and a lot of issues. Paul, loving them as a pastor and a shepherd to that flock, loving a, a kind of messed up church, wrote this letter to correct a lot of the stuff that was wrong. And so from the very beginning, Paul dealt with sexual sin in chapter one. I mean, it opens up with a boom and it talks about those that have replaced the, you know, instead of worshiping the creator, they worship the creator, talks about those that had, you know, put God out of their minds and instead had gone to homosexuality and other sexual sins. Then it goes on to talk about those that were, you know, instead of worshiping God, had found other things to put on the throne. Then we talked about the sexual perversion in the Corinthian church, that a, a man was sleeping with his father's wife, so his stepmother. And the church was actually proud of themselves for being accepting of the behavior. They were saying, hey, we're so tolerant and tolerable. And so Paul was like, no, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his soul might be saved. That's not okay. And so he dealt with that. This is a church that thought that it was good to be tolerant of open sin, um, which we see today. That's not God's heart. And so Paul had him put the guy out. Then we got along to the spiritual gifts and we saw that the Corinthian church was into the gifts, but their carnality was so much so that it even impacted that they were using the gifts in a carnal way. You know, they were you know doing too much with the gifts and using them out of order. And everybody had to have something to say at every meeting. And it was crazy. And so they had to be brought into order there. They were corrected about how they were doing communion. They were at the communion feast. You know, people were coming and getting eating too much. People were getting drunk at communion. And so Paul said, no, and he had to correct that. And so we come to the chapter 15 and we I think we, we dealt with the gifts in chapters 12 and 14 sandwiched in between there. We dealt with the need to walk in love. And now we're in chapter 15. And last week we covered the gospel. And if you missed it, uh, you can go online and listen to it. But if you ever somebody says, where can you find a clear presentation of the gospel in the Bible? It's first Corinthians 15, one through four. We covered verses one through five last week, but you can go back and listen to that. But there's a piece of the gospel that Paul goes on uh, to speak all the way through the rest of the chapter. And it's uh, it deals with the resurrection. And in the Corinthian church, there was some false teaching on the resurrection. There was uh, either some misunderstanding, some wrong teaching on 
whether or not Jesus had risen from the dead, whether or not we will rise again one day. And so he spends the rest of this chapter really making it clear, explaining to us the importance of the message of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. You guys know Paul's previous life. He was a Pharisee, so he's got a legal mind. Um, and so Paul argues this thing out like a court case. And he's just making his points. Bam, 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 bam. So you might listen and say, well, I already believe in the resurrection. Great. I want you to take notes so that maybe if you end up in discussion with someone that doesn't agree, I don't believe that he rose in there, really? And there are proofs that you can lay out that people would at least have to be confronted with, at least have to consider. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Because truly, this is the thing that sets what we believe apart from what everybody else believes. Everybody has some God. Every religion has someone that they believe in, that they kind of anchor their hope and their faith in. The Muslims have Muhammad. You know, the Eastern religions have, you know, Buddha and different things like that. You got everybody has someone that they kind of hang their hat on. But Jesus uniquely, all the false deities, he's the one true God. He's the only one that said, look, I, here's the proof. You want evidence that I am who I say I am? I'm going to tear down this temple, speaking of its body. And in three days, I'm going to raise it back up again. And he did so. And so let's pick up at verse five. So after he had shared the gospel and he talked about how he rose from the grave and he had gone and seen people, we left off at verse five. We, we went over it. So I'm going to just read it. And he was seen by Cephas and then by the 12. So what we're going through is the list of people that saw Jesus in his resurrected body. Um, he saw Cephas, which we told you who that was. Who was Cephas? Peter. That's another name for Peter. So he went to Peter. Why is that important? Because what did Peter do before Jesus died? He denied that he even knew him three times. The rooster crowed. And Peter's a genuine believer. He's bummed out. I just thought it was, it shows me something of who Jesus is because he saw some of them in groups, but he went and had a one-on-one -on -one with Peter. Why? Because he loved Peter. Even though Peter messed up, he loved him. And he went to him. And what was the nature of that conversation you see it in John's gospel? He went to restore him. And he said, Peter, you love me? I'm going to give you something to do. You love me? This is what you can do. Feed my sheep. You love me, Peter? Tend my lambs. You love me? Feed my lambs. If you love me, I want you to go and take care of my sheep. I still want to use you. I still have a call on your life. I haven't changed my mind about who you are, what I want you to do, what I want you to be. I have not changed my mind about you, Peter. Let's get busy. That was the word that God had for him at that point in time. Now, Look at verse six. These are more people that saw Jesus after the resurrection. It says, and after he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And so there was a group of 500 that saw him all together at once. So it'd be like, I mean, a 500 people, that could be a concert. That's a big group. 500 people at once saw him. And then Paul says the greater portion of that group is still alive today. So in the Jewish mind, you only need two witnesses. Two or three witnesses can be enough to establish, you know, your guilt to where you can die. So if they're established a death penalty in the mouth of two or three witnesses. If two or three people come and say, I saw him there, he did it. You could die. They're saying, you know, 500 witnesses. So never mind, we have the 12. We have Peter by himself. The 12 over there, 500 at one time. And he says, and most of them are alive today. So if you have a hard time believing it, there's quite a few people you could actually get with and go talk to and verify the things that I'm saying. These are not just air speech. If you look back into not just Christian history, but look into the secular historians of this day, these things are evidence there that people saw him after his death. And so 
500, the greater amount of them is here today. Verse 7, after that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Now, most believe that this James here is James, the brother of Jesus. And I want to say this. I think it's interesting, right? Before Jesus was crucified and died, you know, buried and resurrected, he had siblings that did not believe. Um, they didn't accept his message. They didn't believe that he was. I'm sure it was probably difficult to be the younger siblings of Jesus. I heard a comedian do a whole little bit on this. It was funny, but it was true. It was like, a, it was like biblical humor. He was saying like, if, if Jesus was like this perfect kid who never did nothing wrong, he always did everything he was told to do. He always did everything well. Imagine coming behind him and he was saying how the mom would be like, why can't you be more like Jesus? And just how it would have been difficult to be his brother. You know, just the perfect child, the perfect everything. Um, and so we don't know why, but his siblings didn't believe. Uh, they weren't believers until after his resurrection. But if you're writing notes, I want you to write down John, the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. I'm going to read it to you real quick. John 7, verses 3 through 5. It says, speaking about Jesus, says, his brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go into Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you were doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then verse five says, for even his brothers did not believe in him. And so they weren't believing. They're saying, man, go, go show everybody what you can do. Do, do some miracles for that group. But it, it notes there that they didn't believe. Interesting, because as you come to the book of Acts, chapter one, after the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, and Christ is risen from the grave. And uh, every time you see Christ in his resurrected form, he's instructing. He's telling people what to do. Many times the summary of the message is for them to go. Go into the world. Go tell other people. Get out with this message. Other people need to hear it. Other people need to know. But I just would note in Acts 1 verse 14, as it lists all the people that were there, um, as they all came together, says that uh, these all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And so those who have previously not believed, now they do. Why is that important? Why do I make a big deal of it? Because what happened? Why would they believe now and they didn't believe then? I believe, if this is my take, right, that maybe walking with him, maybe seeing the miracles, maybe that wasn't enough. But seeing him crucified, and they saw him crucified, and then buried, he was entombed, he was put in the tomb, and then seeing him after that, would that rock your world, you guys? Would that, that would blow me away. You know, don't none of y'all die and then show back up, you know. Uh, y'all need to stay in heaven where y'all belong, you know. But that would have an impact. And so I think it was purposeful that Jesus went around, showed himself. Something interesting to me is that the people that were there at that time that saw him in this way, these people were radical about their faith in the Lord. These people had, I mean, there was in a, sometimes we look at kind of the belief in people in the Bible and you compare it to present day Christianity. And what we see today is kind of weak in comparison. Amen. Y'all, do y'all agree with that? What I see, what I look around, even in my own life, I look, I compare and I'm like, man, this is, our version is weak. You know, when I look at the Bible and I look at people who got saved, it was like, I, they're sold out like 100 percenters. They're just, I'll go to jail for it. I'll die for it. I'll lose my friends for it. I'll be cut off from my family for it. Like they didn't care. They weren't trying to protect any part of their life. It was like, God, you got all of me. Have it. Have your way. 
whatever you want. You know, I look at some of the things Paul said. If it stumbles you guys for me to eat meat, I'll never eat meat again. Why? That's so radical. Who would say that? Who here would say if it bothered you if I ate meat, you vegan, you come to my house, I'll put my steaks away. I'm going to eat my steak before you get there. You know, I mean, that's just the mindset is radical. It's saying, look, I only care about glorifying God. I only care about helping other people get to know him. And if this would hinder you from knowing him, I won't do it because I got a bigger agenda than pleasing me, which is pleasing him. That's how they were living. It was radical. Well, how come they lived that way if it wasn't true? Why would you? No one would live that way for a lie, you guys. No one would live that way if they didn't see him resurrected. And not only did they live radically, they, many of them willingly died for their faith. No one would die for a lie. In preparing for this, I was going to do this, but I won't. But I'll just, I'll just tell you. I went and watched a bunch of interviews where people were put up against enough years and they start snitching on camera. And I don't want to say snitching like it's a bad thing because I'm not from now. I don't really ascribe to that whole, you know, if telling on you and it's true, it's going to get, I'm telling, you did, you did it all. Don't do it in front of me, I'll tell them. So I don't ascribe to that. I'll get my stitches then, you know, but I'm not doing 40 years so I could be like, I don't, I'm not no snitch. I'm telling everything. So I don't feel like what they did was wrong. I just want to precursor it, but it was showing how people that have been part of different lifestyles, drug cartels, so forth and so on, when faced with enough years, with enough, when they got shown, this is what it's going to cost you to be quiet. They're not dealing with life sentences like you're going to die for it. You're going to just be in jail for it. And you watch how these guys like, I'll cooperate. And, and literally, they got the courtroom. You got 20 guys in orange suits that are part of the group. And you got one guy saying, testifying, telling, I'm telling everything. He was there with me at this era. It was, we did three keys together, back and forth to Flint, Michigan. I watched this. And then that guy right there, we were friends from this song. And then I met him over here. His wife got me started. And then that guy right there, he just started giving it up. Bam, bam, bam. And for him, it, it was to get a reduced sentence. And I'm saying if human beings would do that over some jail time, these guys are not dying over something that did not happen. Jesus died and he was buried. And he rose from the grave, you guys. He came back from the grave, and it was a purpose for that. So all these people that he's being seen by, it's, it's purposeful. He's showing himself for a reason. And so he was seen by James, then by all the other apostles. Why? Because they were going to be the ones that needed to carry the message. They needed to be impacted. They needed to see him risen. As you go back, and we don't have time to do it in this particular study, but if you go back and look at the interactions that he had in his risen body, look at what he was doing. He was encouraging. He restoring Peter. But many times the message was go. In Mark's gospel, go. In Matthew's gospel, we call it the Great Commission, go. In Acts 1-8 was the only time he said, okay, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit because you can't go without that. You need power before you go. And so wait here in Jerusalem until you get the power. But after you get it, then go. Then you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. The goal, the message was go from the resurrected Christ. He came back and the last thing he was saying before he ascended back into heaven was go, go, go. Why is that important? Because present-day Christianity doesn't look like that. People get saved. There are people that have been in church their whole life. They don't go anywhere. When the Bible says go, what does it mean? It's going, sharing the gospel. It might mean going down the hallway in your house and talking to some folk about the gospel. It might mean going through your apartment complex, going down your block. It might mean going to the person next to you in the cubicle at work. It might mean going across the world, but it's going. They were going and sharing. The, everywhere they went, they were sharing the gospel. Are we sharing the gospel? 
Are we so impacted by the message of the gospel that we can't contain it? That we look at other people and feel like, man, you just need to know this message. What's wrong with you is that you need this message. Um, I think that's what God would have us do. You know what that would kill? That would kill the, because this is what happens in typical Christian circles. Christians, we get saved, we come to church, we deal with each other. We believe the same stuff, we agree with the same stuff. Then we start looking at the world and being like, they're icky. Oh, that's, that's some nasty. Look at, they're nasty over there. Oh, I can't believe they do that. And we become this group of really holy people. Like the Pharisees and the tribe, looking at them, I can't believe they do that. When y'all used to do it too. I Seeing people, I, I can't believe she would dress like that. How you used to dress when you didn't know the Lord and you were trying to catch? I can't believe he treated his wife. How did you treat women before you knew the Lord? You know, we start looking out and we become judgmental instead of looking out saying, man, they need Jesus. Right? The more junk someone shows you, what they're showing you is, I don't know him yet. And you know him, you're supposed to go tell him. You're supposed to be the one going to tell him. But instead, you're looking like, I can't believe they're living like that. Making all that noise. Messing up our neighborhood. Ruining our, you know, taking away my peace or whatever. And God's like, but I told y'all to go. I want you to go. And as you look at the example of Jesus, he went. And where did he go? He went to the grimiest people. He went to the groups that were cast down and not really revered in his time, but they needed him. And he went to them. And I'm encouraging us as a church that we would be minded to go. If you've received this message, if you believe that because God loved you, that Jesus died for you, was buried for you, rose again from the grave for you as a precursor to what would happen in your life, then would you go with the message? Would you go share it with somebody? Would you go tell it to people? Could we make sure that we don't become that group of stuck up, spiritual, funky people that are looking out at the world? Because you know what the world does when they, they can feel that. They can feel, oh, you, oh, you, you, y'all too, you know, they'll say something like, oh, you too good to, you can't talk to me, you know. I might can't go to your function, but I can talk to you, you know. I might can't be, don't, please don't, don't post the picture of me at that, you know, please, you know. There's some places I won't go, some things I won't attach myself to, but I can talk to you. I can come and spend some time. I can come and share a message. I can come and, you know, love on some folks or whatever. That's our job. That's our agenda. That's what we want to do. And so let's be minded to go, right? Jesus I mean, to me, when I look, if you're going to raise from the dead uh, and come back and have a few more messages, I, I mean, those are probably pretty important, man, because you could have just stayed dead. If you're going to get up out the grave and come back and say something, I want to tune in. Amen. We want to I want to hear the messages and say, man, that must be really important to the Lord to come back from the dead and tell us again that that's what he wants us to be about. So he said, go. He said it three times at least. Then we need to be going. And so um, let's go. So moving on. Said, uh, so. Then verse uh, eight, it says, Paul said in verse eight, then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Now, Paul's interaction with the risen Christ was unique. All the other apostles had actually walked with Jesus for three years. They had three years of learning and listening and ministry with Jesus on earth, three years of earthly ministry. And then he died and, and they witnessed it. He rose in the grave. Paul was while all that was going on, Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was persecuting the church. Paul was responsible for the death of Stephen, the first martyr of the church. They threw their clothes, it says, at the feet of one named Saul. He was there, you know, basically saying, yes, you know, giving the thumbs down, like, go ahead and throw the stones. That was Paul's life. He was actively persecuting the church when the Lord met him. He was on the way. He had letters uh, permission on his way to on the Damascus Road, going to jail and prison more believers. And it was there that it says the Lord met him. And interesting because he met the risen Lord. Christ in his resurrected form came to Saul on Damascus Road and said, Saul, Saul, 
why are you persecuting me? Right, because you're persecuting my church, but that's my body. And so when you persecute them, you persecute me. Why are you persecuting me? Isn't it hard to kick against the goals? Isn't this difficult what you're doing? And he shared with Paul. Paul received a message directly from Jesus himself. He spent three years in Arabia in the desert where we believe he received all the other instruction directly from the Lord. And that's why Paul, many times, as he would go around sharing that he was in a place, look, I didn't receive it from man. I got it straight from the Lord. Right? So the stuff I'm saying don't question it. Don't come against it. This ain't come three tiers down from three different men along the way. I got this direct connect. Jesus came to me, told me, and I'm telling you what Jesus said, receive that. And so Paul's apostleship was unique. When Paul says, as one born out of due time, that phrase, that Greek word, is like a person having a miscarriage, a baby that was born not at the right time. Paul's recognizing, I didn't get that normal three-year gestation period that the other disciples got. I was born in a different way. But nonetheless, I've been made an apostle. And so he came to me as one born out of due time. And then look at verse nine. Paul says, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. I don't want to skip over this. I thought it was important. Paul says, I'm the least of the apostles. That's how he sees himself, right? Is this a low self-esteem? It's not. As you follow Paul's life, you'll find that if you think it's self-esteem, you'll feel like Paul's self-esteem getting lower and lower the longer he walked, but that's not what it is. If you're writing notes, write down these three places in the word. Right here in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, Paul says, I'm the least of all the apostles. Then over in Ephesians 3, 8, which is later on, he says, I'm the least of all the saints. He says, I'm less than the least of all the saints. That's in Ephesians 3.8. I'm not the least of all the saints. I'm less than the least of all the saints. Then at the very end of his life in 1 Timothy, when he's in prison for preaching the gospel, closer to the end of his life, it says in 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. Here's the deal, right? The closer you get to the Lord, the more aware you become. I don't believe Paul was failing in his relationship with the Lord. I don't think Paul was sinning more in 1 Timothy 1.15 while he's in prison for preaching the gospel and writing letters to encourage young Timothy, the protege, to raise up. You know, I don't believe that. I believe that what happens is the closer you get to the Lord, the more aware you become that I'm not all that. That's why when you find someone that's full of pride, it's an evidence that they haven't been with Jesus. That they don't have a real revelation of who Christ is. You cannot have a revelation of who Christ is and be proud and arrogant. The closer you get to him, the more of himself he reveals to you, the more you'll just be broken, humbled, thankful that you even get to be a part of the program. You just be humble, right? I don't deserve it. It's just grace. And you won't say that in the fake, false, pharisaical human. It's just the Lord. Oh, no, it's not me. It's God. Some people be saying that. They don't believe it. I'm saying it'll be for real when you spend time in his presence. You get close to him. You see him for what he is, and you'll see yourself in light of him. You'll see how much work needs to be done, how, far, how short you fall compared to him. And you'll just, man, God, thank you. You're so gracious. Thank you that you're good to me anyway. Thank you that you love me anyway. Thank you that you receive me anyway. And I, I don't need to be the greatest, right? What were the disciples always arguing about when they were walking? Who, who, who's going to be the greatest, right? Well, look at a man who's seen him, had a revelation of him. And he says, man, I'm the least of all the apostles. I'm the least of the least of the saints. And I'm the chief of sinners. I am not a big shot. And it's interesting because when I look at Paul the apostle, he was, to me, a big shot. 
I don't know that there's a bigger deal. You come after Jesus. I don't think anybody else did more in the New Testament. I can't look at anybody else that I would look at and be like, man, they went hard. That's Paul the Apostle. Well, Paul's a double. I'm nothing. Least of the least of the saints. I am not better than you. That's all we have time for today on A Transforming Word. Pastor Bill has been teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. This book addresses the idea of confronting sin. Paul knew it was more important to hit the issue head on rather than skirt around it for the sake of being approved of by the majority. This is a hard thing to do when you know that tough issues will cause disruption in a church or even a breach in relationship. But what matters most, pleasing God or pleasing man? It's something to keep in mind as you continue to study this New Testament book. Can we encourage you as you strive to walk out a life of faith, even when it's unpopular? Call or send a text to 310-245-4811. That's 310-245-4811. We'd love to meet you. Do you live in the Inglewood area? Then come join us for worship this weekend. You can get service times and location information at calvaryinglewood.org. You can even find links to stream our services if you're not able to be with us in person. And you can catch up on previous messages online. That website again is calvaryinglewood.org. As we come to the end of our time with you today, we want you to know that we're grateful to have you as part of our listening audience. Would you join us in praying for others who are tuning in and may be hearing about Jesus for the first time? Pray that their hearts will be open to truth and change. Thanks for praying, and thanks for joining us on A Transforming Word.